Let's try that woohoo again. That wasn't very good for us. Okay. Woohoo! Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that uh, is a part of our identity is holy party. Amen. Yeah. Believe in celebrating what Christ has done. Uh, I hope that that um, coming to church is a, is a party for you, is a celebration. So let me catch my breath a little bit. I'm kind of adjusting to the whole uh, schedule here, and I forgot and left my my table in the back, so I had to haul that forward. So let me. Um, Deep breaths. Okay. Um, just a couple of things. Uh, some of you, uh, if you're not on social media, you haven't kind of heard about my latest report. For our guests, um, last, uh, late last winter, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer uh, in a really serious form of cancer. So the church has kind of been journeying with me. Uh, and we've had some really, really good reports. Um, this last week, uh, they did my four-week follow-up from chemo. And the report was amazingly good. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, that's all, that's all God, right? We're, yeah, yeah, I, I didn't do anything but lay there and have the thing in my arm, so no credit to me, all credit uh, to God and how he's done that. So much so that, that, get this, when they gave me the report, they're giving me the reports, right, and I have a surgeon and a radiation oncologist and a chemo uh, doctor there, um, and the radiation oncologist, my radiation oncologist is the head of radiation oncology at the University of Washington. So if you've had radiation, my doctor taught your doctor how to do it. That's, that's how that worked. She literally did a happy dance in my room when she told me the news. She was like, I thought I'd get up and dance with her, but I'm a Nazarene, and that would not be good, you know, so I don't really dance well. Um, that, that's how good it was. Uh, they actually kind of hung out in the room afterwards. Jody and I are kind of like, why are they all hanging out here? And it kind of dawned on us later, they don't get a give happy news very, give happy news very often. Sarcomas are very deadly, uh, and, and my particular type would be especially so. And so they're just very excited uh, about how, how it's going. I'm not out of the woods yet, but it looks good. So the reason I'm, I'm here again, and I'll be here now for quite a while, um, is they're switching me over onto out of chemo and onto radiation. Uh, which they, they, I get this special machine, and she said, the worst part of this will be the drive back and forth to the University of Washington, uh, five days a week for five weeks. Uh, then I'll have a couple of week break, and I'll have surgery. Then I'll have a couple more weeks, and I'll have my last two radiation, our last two chemo treatments. So just so you know what's going on, that's kind of what's going on with me. And God is working in powerful ways. Keep praying. Amen? Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So glory to God in all of that. So uh, we kind of finished up a, a sermon series uh, last week, uh, and so we got a couple of kind of what I call things of standalone kind of sermons. Uh, this week is, is a special week for us because we are uh, having our all-church uh, picnic on the grounds here. Uh, so afterwards, when I, I, when I let you go, I'm not going to dismiss you. Okay, the service isn't over. you got to go out and onto the grounds back here, and we're going to have a baptism service. And we're going to have a young man that gets baptized, and we're going to have a young man that it's his first time to baptize someone. So this is really cool. I want you to come and be a part of that. And then we're going to break bread together. It looks a lot like chicken, but trust me, we're going to break bread, bread together. Um, and so I then want you to come in and be a part of that as well. So what I want to talk about today, uh, whoops, helps if you turn this on. What I want to talk about today is, uh, is Framley. Say Framley. Yeah, and for those of you who are newer or... Um, or maybe uh, this is your first time, excuse me, a part of the chemo is the, is the runny nose kind of thing. Um, family is the idea of, of friends who have become like family. You've gotten so close that they're really 
family more so than they are friends. In fact, uh, I lived far away from my family most of my life, and, and we had friends in the church that were probably closer to me than my family in, in many, many ways. Uh, there's a couple in Kansas City that, that they just literally, they're as close as close gets with us. I call him brother. He calls me brother. Uh, neither one of us had brothers, but that's what it would be like. Uh, and so uh, family is really what God intended for the church, that, that those of us who have come from different places and different backgrounds and, and we're not related biologically, that we would become family. And so um, we've kind of coined this word, I think Sprint or somebody actually coined the word, I don't know, but, but, but family, of, of friends who are like family. And I'm, it is my hope and it is my prayer that you will be family. You can't know everyone in our congregation, okay? But, but, but you can have some people that, it, that it, there's a closeness in, in all of that. And so I want to kind of kick off with, with this question this morning. What is the most important thing in life? God? Yeah? What, is that, what does God look like in terms of this? Love. So I, I would argue that the most important thing in life is love. And I would argue in part because people will give up life in order to preserve love. People will lay down their lives for the ones that they love, okay? That it's more important even than, than our, our, our life itself. And you, you've seen people that will sacrifice themselves for their children or for the, for the ones that they love. There's a really great example of this this week. How many of you know who Dale Earnhardt Jr. is? Yeah, if you've been watching the news, for those of you that don't know, he's a, he's a NASCAR racer, a third generation, I think. Uh, and and uh, he had a private jet, evidently racing cars pays. Don't tell that to the cop the next time you get a speeding ticket. But, but apparently, if you do it in the right place, it pays well. Um, and, and he had a private jet, and the jet crashed. Uh, and there's kind of video of what was going on, and the, the door was kind of mangled as they're trying to get people out of there. And this guy kind of runs up. And the very first thing you see happen is somebody hands Dale's baby through to the guy. You see that? If no one else survives this crash, my child is going to survive this crash. Love is more powerful even than life itself. It is the most important thing in life uh, itself. And no matter what else you attain in life, I would argue, whether you get fame or fortune or power, uh, whatever you have, if you do not have love, it will not ultimately satisfy you. Because satisfaction is sharing life with the, with the ones you love. And if you have true love, you will be satisfied no matter how little you have. And all you need to do is go to a third world country and you'll see this. And so let me, let me put it this to you this way. Um, next slide. Oh, there we go. The quality of your life is directly proportional to the amount of love in your life. The quality of your life is directly proportional to the amount of love in your life. And the this, this came home to me uh, a long time ago when um, the church I was at before this, we had a relationship with a, a, a ministry in Brazil, uh, in Rio, but not the nice part of Rio, the, the really unnice part of Rio. I don't know if you know this, but in a lot of third world countries, uh, the inner city is where the nice stuff is and the, the edges of the city are where the, the really hard parts are. And uh, I, I didn't know how rough this community was where this church was we were connected to until I, I flew down individually and the people that were 
kind of picked me up. You know, I don't speak Portuguese, so I'm kind of down there floundering. Didn't show up, and, and turns out they were stuck way, way back in traffic. And this, this wonderful lady heard me kind of talking on the phone in English and, and, and said, can I help you? You know, I, I'm from here. And I said, sure, uh, please. And she, she, she said, How, where do you need to go? And uh, I said, well, I, I got to go someplace. I don't know. She said, well, probably I can just put you in a cab and tell them where to take you, and it'll be great. Give me the address. So I showed her the address, and she said, oh, no, you don't want to go there alone. You better wait for your ride. <laughs> I thought, okay, what kind of a place is this that I'm going to here? Um, so um, we went down there, and, and we were working. Uh, we are helping to establish a clinic, and, and um and kind of working with these really, really, really poor, poor families. In fact, so poor that when they took us to meet one of some of these families, and some of you have heard this before, um, we met, went to meet some of the families that are in the, it's kind of like a, it's a school, but, but they actually feed the kids, right? In fact, they told us on Fridays they stuff the kids' pockets full of food because they may not eat again until Monday when they come back to school again. So really deep poverty. And so we went out to this one family, and it literally looks like something, it looks like a shack. It looks like it's kind of stapled together and nothing fits and all of that. And the temperature is pretty warm down there. So, you know, they, you, you kind of, it's kind of open air. But they had this, card, this uh, plywood thing that went across the front of the door. And it was maybe three feet, and they just kind of laid it, and they said, well, that's the door. I said, well, why, why do they even need a door? And, and a person who was with us said, because if they don't, the rats will get in, and they'll chew sometimes on the kids' fingers and toes and those kinds of things. And I thought, man, oh man, oh man, we have so, so much more than, than they have. And then I went to church with these people. And they are the happiest people I've ever been around. They have absolutely nothing. And they had joy like you wouldn't believe. They dance even in the Nazarene churches down there. And they're good, you know. It's kind of hard to know if they're related to us, really, you know. In fact, so much so, this will be your challenge for next week. They have dancers on the platform, but so much so that they'll break out into dancing in the aisles as well. So next Sunday, I expect you to break out into dancing in the aisles, okay? I know it's going to be a push for some of you, but no. Not. So, but, so what, I, what I really noticed is they had nothing, and yet they had great joy and happiness. They loved on one another. They would, they would spend like all this time hugging each other and doing all this kind of stuff. And then I came back to America where we have so much. Amen? And rates of suicide and depression are at epidemic levels in our nation. And I came back to this. The quality of your life is directly proportional to the amount of love in your life. They had nothing but love and they had great joy. We have everything else you could possibly want. And we live in a place where we struggle because we don't get connected, because we don't have family in our lives. And this is never what God intended for it to be. Amen? He always intended that we have love and we live in love and we care for one another and we, we be family and that we, that we be family. And so this morning I want to uh, take us to... Oh man, I don't know what's going on there. Okay, you can go. We're at the end. <laughs> no, no, you can't. No, you can't. The fastest sermon I ever preached. <laughs> So uh, if we could back up to um, back up to the quality 
of life is directly proportional to the amount of love you have in it. So what, uh, John 13 is actually where we're going. There we are. Uh, so John, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 13. Uh, and we're going to uh, look at this, this really wonderful passage. And so just a couple of things as we're getting ready here. Um, most of you know that, that the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were written earlier on. They're kind of the philosophical foundation. They're kind of the story of Jesus. The book of John was written much later. So it represents uh, a deeper reflection on the gospel. John kind of looks at those other guys and says, okay, you guys covered the basis of what kind of went on. Now let me tell you what, what that means, what that really looks like. Uh, and so um, I love John because it is, it is that kind of developed theology, a mature theology. Uh, John 13, uh, Jesus' public ministry is over. He's going to have no more fights with the Pharisees. He's going to have no more teaching with the, the, uh, the people. He's coming to the end of his life. And in fact, this is kind of the Passover meal. And in some ways, it's the farewell meal with his disciples. This is his last a time to kind of be together with them as family rather than kind of out walking around doing uh, the business of the church. So let me jump in and we're going to read some of this and talk about it and then we'll make some applications. Uh, so John chapter 13. Um, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart, so he knows what's coming. The disciples may not know, but he knows what's coming, okay? Uh, parted to this world to the Father, having loved his own... Who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I, I love that. He loved them to the end. We have actually built that into Christian theology. You actually hear it in our wedding vows. You are to love and to live and to be married until death do us part. To the end. To the end. And we take that seriously. Amen. How many have marriages over 50 years? Yeah, there's one back there. There's several down there, you know, all over the place. I, I, I love it when I go to places and they talk to me and they ask you, how long have you been married? And I tell them, I've been married 34 years. They go, wow, that's a really long time. And I go, not where I come from. <laughs> not where I come from. We really take that until death do us part. Okay, he loved them to the end. And I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Jesus rose from supper. Okay, they've been eating the Passover meal. And in fact, one of the other gospels says that they're having an argument about who's going to be first, right? They get involved in that, you know, I'm first, no, I'm first kind of a deal. He rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments. Okay, that's important. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And just so you can get the picture, they probably were at a very low table. They were probably on their elbows all in and their feet facing out. So it would have been easy for Jesus to get up from that. They're continuing the argument and he gets the basin and the towel and he starts to wash people's feet before they know somebody's going, whoa, whoa, what's going on down there, you know? They turn around and all of a sudden Jesus uh, is washing his feet. So let me do a couple things out of this. Uh, there's an important thing. He took off his garment Remember in the ancient world, clothing told you to people who you were, what you were, whether you were rich or whether you were poor, often your profession, those sorts of things. So he literally takes off the garment that had represented to all of them the fact that Jesus is Lord, that he was rabbi and teacher and Lord and sets it aside. And then, uh, and, and in fact, the word there, just a second, the word for he took off his robe is the same word that is used often by Jesus for laying down his life. Isn't that cool? So there's a sense in which you could say Jesus laid down his life and took on the role of a servant. So the next thing he does is he takes a towel and he ties it around his waist, which is what the way a, a servant would do it. He literally changes his identity in, in the midst of it. 
And then he pours water for them. And so there's two things going on here that we don't get because we don't understand the culture. Jesus takes on two roles. One of them is, it was the host's responsibility to provide water to wash the feet. Either a servant would do it or you would do it yourself. And apparently water had not been provided. So Jesus says, I am the host of this meal. And the second thing he did by putting on the servant's robe is, I am your servant. And that's a really interesting thing in this moment because what it says is, to these people around this table, I am making you my friends. Remember who Jewish people invite to dinner with them? They're friends. You didn't invite people you didn't like. You didn't invite people that didn't fit. And so there's this wonderful thing where Jesus is almost saying, okay, this is graduation. For all of these three years, you have been my students. And now I am saying you're graduated and you are my friends. I'm moving you into a a new relationship. And Jesus is offering them this, this true, genuine friendship with him. So then the passage goes on. And it says, oh. man, I've preached this sermon twice. You all should have it, right? I'm not sure what's going on back there. It's having a, a struggle. Um, so, uh, so let me read the next. It's, it's uh, 12, 13, 12 through 15. <laughs> They'll get it here. It says, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garment, so now he takes the other garment back, and resumed his place... So everything that he laid aside, he now picks back up, having served all of them. He has an argument with Peter, who seems to never get it right, okay? Aren't you glad for Peter? It gives me all hope, so, okay? So he washed the garment and resumed his place. He said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Okay, he's now put the garments back on. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet... You also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Isn't that interesting? He he resumes the role. He takes on the servant's role and serves them. He takes on the host's role and provides for them. And then he puts back on the garments of Lord and teacher. And he says, now I'm going to teach you one last lesson. And that lesson is, I have served you, you need to serve each other. That's a powerful sort of thing that goes on. Do you, do you understand, the, the, the servant and the host and the friend, do you understand what I have done? Now do what I have, have done in all of this. And, and that's going to be important later on in the end of this. We're going to kind of skip through this, this chapter towards the end. But the next thing that happens is there's a discussion about Judas. And Judas goes out to betray Jesus. Um, and then he says to them, uh, my little children, uh, I'm going to a place where you can't go. I'm going back to the Father and you can't, can't go. And I love the language of little children. So it, it, little children in their culture is very different from ours. What if someone calls you a little child today? You do not feel complimented, do you? You know, they're basically saying, you're having a temper tantrum kind of a thing, you know. We, we do this with our kids when, they, when they're like, you know, they, that right age where they feel like they're really grown up. And they say, you can't treat me like that. And you say, well, if you'll act like an adult, I'll treat you like an adult. You know, how many of you said that to your kids at some point? You know, yeah, yeah. You know, act like a child, I'm going to treat you like a child. But, but in the ancient culture... Actually, this was a term of endearment from a teacher to a student. And it was literally to say, I'm pulling you into the family. 
So, so he starts out by, by pulling them into friendship, pulling them out of student into friendship. And now, now he takes the next step and he says, not only are you, you my friends, I'm literally making you a part of my, ch- my, my little children, my, my dearly beloved children. You are a child of God. I thought that was good news personally. Yeah. Let me try that again. You are a child of God. And the way Scripture talks, yeah, give God a hand. I mean, that's a good thing. Uh, you know, yeah, let's give God a hand. We are thankful for that. And, 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 and some of you are even far from God, but I love the story of the prodigal because it says everybody is God's child. There's just some of you who haven't come back to the family, and we want you to come back to the family, amen? We want you to join the family and join, join Christ. You, you are a, a child uh, of God. Um, and, and so uh, let me just say to you, little children, so look at the person next to you and say, little child. Now look at the other person and say, little child. Yeah, I know that kind of grates on you, doesn't it? It's like, it's all right, it's all right. It's a term uh, of endearment. And then I want to get this last verse because this is kind of what, what we really live with in this church. A new commandment I give you. Uh, I wish I could talk about what that means. That you, let's read it together. Love one another. Just as I have loved you. You also are to, say it, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have for one another. Yeah. What do you think he's trying to say in this verse? There we go. We got Sometimes exegesis is really, really easy in, in this. And so um, I, I want to kind of work through this, but I want you to understand that love one another is the heart of this sermon. More than that, it's the heart of Christianity. Amen? If you do not get this right, I don't care how good you are at keeping the commandments, you've missed it. Okay? This is the heart of all of that. So let's, let's look first here. Um, next slide. See if we can get this without it going crazy. Um, so the first word is love, and you guys know this. The word is agape in Greek. Um, and some people say that, that it means, uh, you know, kind of unjudgmental kind of love. Now, there's certainly that's a part of it. But really the way Jesus defined it, it means self-sacrificing love. It means sacrificing yourself for the one you love. Uh, in fact, John 15, 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for the ones they love. Man, so, so when he talks about love, he talks about loving so much that you would give up your life. And, and we do this in all kinds of ways, big and small. Parents, you lay down your lives for your children all the time, amen? You do that in your support, you do that all, all those, and the, the older they get, the more you get to lay down your, your, your life for them. And so um, love means to be self-sacrificing love, to lay down our lives for the ones we love. And then the second one uh, is the idea um, here of one another. Alelone is the word. Say alelone. Yeah, that's a good word. Alelone, one another, or what we sometimes call family. The, the one anotherness of the body of Christ is those friends who are like family. Alelone. The truth of the matter is, Jesus wasn't related directly to any of the disciples, and only two of them, there was two sets that were related to each other, but for the most part, they weren't biologically related, and yet they were his family, his one another, the people that he cared about uh, in, in all of that. And so, lalelone is the idea of family. Say, family. Okay, look at the person next to you and say, we are family. Yeah, look at the other side and say, we are family. Oh, don't like the person on the other side? Because that really got quiet all of a sudden. It's like, 
well, I don't know about that person, you know. So, um, so, so this is what I'm saying is, this is why we have this thing out on the wall that says, we are family. And I'm, my age, I, I hear a six, song from the 60s. We are family. Yes. <laughs> Maybe we should make that our theme song. We could kind of change it up. And <laughs> Carl? <laughs> so love one another. And, and just uh, alelone. Say alelone again. And here's the deal. If you don't have alelone, you are alone. That's, that's the way that works. Don't be alone. Be alelone. That's, that's the way it works. So, and just uh, one more thing there. The word actually in Greek isn't just a broad idea of everybody. It is actually an individual. Every single person, each person, should be connected in some way, should be family. Uh, and then there's this really cool thing that, that happens uh, in this, in that it just kind of goes huge. It goes, it goes big in all of this. Uh, because you remember what happened at Pentecost? Like all kinds of people became a part of the family. It's easy to love 12 people. It's harder to love 5,000 kinds of people. And so uh, let, me, let me put it to you this way. Um, we are commanded by God to love and serve people who are different from us. We are commanded by God. Let's say this together, okay? We are commanded by God to love and serve people who are different from us. That's what Pentecost was all about. It said that they had people from every tribe and, and, and every nation from all over the world. And, and, and we are called by, by Jesus Christ to serve people that speak different languages than us. Amen? I can't wait to get to heaven. We're going to sing in all the different languages together. That is going to be so cool. I got a little taste of that in my last church. The people that come from different cultures. Do you know that there are people that do things different from you? And get this, they're not wrong. And maybe we're wrong, but we won't go there because that gets a little too pushy. So people with different skin colors, people with different backgrounds, people who are rich and people who are poor, people who are smart and, well, not so smart and... People who are powerful and powerless and people of all kinds. That's what Pentecost was all about. When he said, all alone, one another, he suddenly expands it to mean the whole world, that everyone is a part of this. In fact, he does this other kind of tricky thing in there in that he attaches love to service. Did you catch that? He says, I love you and you know I love you because I serve you. You see, in the kingdom of God, there's no such thing as love without service. There's no such thing as love without service. So it is in your families. Just try and have kids and not take up any chores, you know. Uh, let me tell you, you love, you serve. And in fact, really, selfishness and love are a contradiction. In fact, I would go so far to say, if you want to know what the opposite of love is, it's selfishness. It's putting myself first in all of that. And, and I know this is hard. It, it, it is hard sometimes to love our biological family. <laughs> Everyone wisely kept quiet, you know. It, it, it's, it's hard, you know. And I, I, I love my biological family. They're all in heaven right now. Makes it lots easier. But, you know, <laughs> my sister and I didn't always see things eye to eye. I don't know why, but we just didn't. And my dad and I didn't always see things eye to eye. And, uh, you know, jo this never happens to Jody and I, but I'll bet you some of you don't see eye to eye with your spouse sometimes. Don't say amen, okay? <laughs> Not the right place to say amen. But we, we just don't, you know. We struggle sometimes with that. Imagine what it is when, when, when Jesus brings in the whole of the church all around the world with all the languages and all the stuff. Sometimes we are not going to see eye to eye with people who are different than us that are in the body of Christ. Amen? 
but we must love and serve them no matter what. Amen? That is what we are called to be because we are family. It's so important. And so um, this is how a lost and broken world sees Jesus in us. Because unlike the world, when we disagree with someone, we don't throw them out of the family. We love them like Jesus. We love them like Jesus. Amen. Do you realize that Jesus washed the feet of Judas that day? And if you look at the passage, the paragraph before, Judas was stealing from the treasury of the disciples. And Jesus knew it. How hard would it be to wash the feet of someone you knew was stealing from you and you knew would betray you? You think you got a gripe with somebody? Yeah, you're not even close. This is how, he said, this is how the world will know. The world will know because they see Jesus in us. They see us loving one another all alone, each other. They see us loving the world around us. This is heartbreaking for me because it means that, that getting the music right isn't the way to reach the world for Jesus. But I think we need to get the music right, amen? It's not about music. Ooh. It's not about music. Okay. And here's the one that kills me. It's not about preaching. It's really not. It's not about handing out tracts. It's not about politics. It's not about winning cultural wars. It's not about cool preachers. It's not about programs. It's not about filling the blanks. It is about love each other. That is the witness. And this is why we are committed to the family model of church, of loving each other, of being family together. In fact, I would say this. We think about these things. Let me see if we can get it there. The love of God that binds us together is vastly more important than whatever separates us. Whatever it is, anything that it is, the love of God that binds us together is, is more important than all of that. It is so easy to follow in, fall into a them and us. Do you know that God loves people in the opposite political party from you? Ooh, not, <laughs> giggles, not amens. Uh-huh. And we struggle with that. Let me say that again. Do you know that God loves and died for the people in the opposite political party from you? And by the way, in our church, we have Republicans and Democrats and Independents and Confused. I'm in that last category, okay? It's just, it's hard sometimes, okay? Uh, the, whatever, the love of God that binds us together is vastly more important than what separates us. And if I could get you to remember anything out of this sermon, I would get you to remember that. In fact, let's read it together. The love of God that binds us together is vastly more important than what separates us. Yes. In fact, here's me. Let me say it in a little more personal kind of way. You have never locked eyes with someone God does not love. You've never locked eyes with someone that God does not love, that, that he didn't die for, that, that homeless person on the street that struggles with an addiction, the, the one on the street that, that struggles with mental illness and has strange behaviors, the, the, the people that cross the border coming into our country. I'm going to just get a little political, just a little. Actually, I'm not political at all. God loves those people, amen? I don't care what your policy is, and both sides have their own take on, on all this, but I'm telling you, God loves those people, amen? God, God cares for them. Uh, the, the people on welfare, God cares for people on welfare, amen? God loves them. God died them. You, you've never locked eyes with someone that God doesn't care for and, and didn't die for. It's so important we give this. In fact, let me add it, just take it one step further. 
One more slide, there we go. Jesus loves the least, the last, and the lost. So we must love the least, the last, and the lost. Amen. We must love the least, the last, and the lost. This is where we kind of come back to the question that Jesus asked. Remember, Jesus said, do you understand what I do for you? You know, they didn't. Can we be honest? Sometimes we don't, too. Jesus said, do you understand what I did for you? I set for you an example of service. Jesus loves the least, the last, and the lost, so we must love the least, the last, and the lost. In fact, everything Jesus did, he did because he loves us. Everything Jesus does, he does because he loves you, including disciplining you. You discipline your children because you love them, amen? You don't discipline your children because you don't love them. In fact, sometimes it would be easier to just let it go, amen? I remember my dad saying to me, I, um, a little confession time. I may have argued with my dad a little bit growing up, okay? If I hadn't been a preacher, I would have been a lawyer, and so I got this, this argue thing in me. And I can remember my dad, who was not really a words kind of guy, um, just being so exasperated with me and saying, it would be easier to do it myself than make you do it. And I'm like, good, do that. Let's go with that plan. And he's like, no. Because I believe that making you learn to do your chores is important to your development, so you're going to do it. I thought he was just kidding. Then I had a daughter just like me. <laughs> God's justice. <laughs> and I found myself saying that same thing when she's arguing with her. It would be easier to just take out the trash myself. It would certainly take less time. But I made her do it. Because I loved her, not because I didn't love her. I made her life miserable because I cared about her and I wanted her to develop into the human being that God had designed her to be. And now she's way more responsible than I ever was. Thanks be to God. Her mom may have had a little influence in there. Everything Jesus did, he did because he loves you. So let me kind of try and as we head towards an ending here. Framley is God's primary love delivery system. I believe this with all of my heart. The primary place where you learn to love and be loved is in the family and then the next one out is the family, which is usually the church, the body of Christ. And, and what we know about child development is if you don't get it in those stages, it's very hard later on to get it. And so we want to be not the coolest church in town. We want to be the most Christ-like church in town. Amen? We want to be the most loving church in town. And, and so I, I just want to say to you, we need to learn to love more. And that means serving more. That means the challenges of loving people who are different than us. But honestly, we are so, so blessed. Oh, lots of you should have said amen there. We are so, so blessed. Yes, we forget how blessed we are. I grew up in the church. I talk to people who, say, who tell me, you know, I have never had someone say to me, not my dad or my mom or anybody, that they're proud of me or that they loved me. That is hard for me. I cannot remember a time in my life when people didn't say they loved me and they were proud of me. And I grew up in a little bitty church. And I can remember getting up in front of that church to play my first trumpet solo. And I got so nervous that I only played like two bars of it. Finally, the piano player just kind of kept going, you know. And I got down from there having played two bars of this whole long solo. And people said to me, that was great. We're so proud of you. We lie in Jesus' name. It's just kind of what we do. But you know what that does for a little guy in church? It says God loves you even when you're not perfect. And that became an important lesson because I've gotten better at a few things. 
But if God's love for me was still dependent on my perfection, I would be just as lost as ever. Amen. Family is God's primary love delivery system, and we are determined to be that. We live in a world that's filled with loneliness and isolation, epidemic proportions in America. And we get the beauty of just being the family. Last Sunday, I, I felt good. You know, I've been going through the chemo. I felt good. I should feel good now for quite a number of weeks, so I'm going to be here. Um, and I decided I was going to stay to the very end because I haven't been able to stay because of my health. And so uh, last Sunday, I was just kind of sitting out there watching, and, and I, it was just so fun to watch you guys in the lobby. You're like hugging on each other. And, and even for a pastor that doesn't particularly thrilled about being hugged, that looked really good on you guys, uh, hugging one another. And, and, and you were talking with one another, and I saw some people kind of pray for one another, and you're sharing life together. And I thought, man, this is, this is great. And so service got done at 11 o'clock. You know what time I got out of here? 1230, because you're all loving on each other so much. <laughs> thought we could use a little less love. And no, no, we don't want less, less you know. You were, you were literally washing one another's feet. You were serving one another in the midst of that. And in that moment when I walked out of those doors and locked the doors and left, I was so proud of my church. It's what my dad would have said. Your head's so big you can't get through the door. My head was pretty big because I was proud of a church that's all about loving one another. So let me give you one final challenge, and that's this. There's a lost and broken world just outside our doors that hunger and thirst for what we take for granted. They hunger and thirst for people that love them and care for them. And we just take it for granted. We just are so used to it. So let's be the church that invites people to come, not to hear a preacher or to hear music, although if you've got to get them in that way, get them in that way, but where they come to experience the love of Christ. Framley. Amen.